0: You know, the reason I, they like reading my stuff is that I've always got real-life examples to prove what I'm saying. There's a lot of good people that listen to this podcast.
1: You know, other than God and my family, deer hunting would be next in line on my list of priorities. From the bottom of our hearts, it's, it's just fantastic and awesome to, uh, to have the support that you guys are getting. People ask me about expandable broadheads and love swings.
0: <laughs> Chasing Giants with Don Higgins and Terry Peer. Brought to you by Oseo Camo, nature's most lethal camouflage. Follow along as Don and Terry discuss the techniques, strategies, and dedication needed to harvest one of God's most amazing creations. World-class
1: whitetails. Well, welcome everyone to the Chasing Giants podcast brought to you by Osseo Gear. With Don Higgins, I'm Terry Peer. Don, you're all dressed up in your birthday party attire i think you had a good time celebrating your birthday of your dad tonight didn't you
0: yeah we had a my dad turned 82 today and uh took him out to, uh, for steak uh, my brother and i and my wife um, went out with him my mom you know it's just uh every year that passes and they're still with us it's just a blessing uh you know i've said it before but most of my friends that are my age have lost at least one of their parents and a lot of of friends I grew up with have lost both their parents. So I just feel extremely blessed that uh, mine are still around. And, um, you know, every time they celebrate another birthday, that's just uh, another year of blessings. Yeah. Well, the uh,
1: the la- the theme of the last couple of weeks is that you have been racing in from the consulting trail and turning the computer on and recording, but you spent a big stint of the last almost two weeks on the road, and rolled in a day or two ago, so let's hear a little bit about what's happened on the consulting trail since last week's episode.
0: Yeah, I gotta stop and think uh, where I was at last <laughs> week when we recorded, <laughs> and uh, what at what point in my trip was that but was right uh,
1: after the phillips seed farm uh, event you were uh, heading yeah. back to eastern kansas
0: yeah so i spent uh, the next uh shoot what would have been five days um after that podcast i was still out in kansas missouri for five more days uh looked at several properties in the kansas city area um couple clients had had two or three properties apiece there around Kansas City. Um, looked at another one in Eastern Kansas uh, and stopped uh, in Missouri on the way home and looked at another property. So uh, I looked at several properties. You know, I got to thinking, Terry, this is a trip that you should have been on because not only did I stop at uh, uh, Joe Chambers, the custom gun maker, but then on my way home the the last stop of the trip was a uh, a client that i I actually had met him a couple of years ago and um, you know this the story kind of tells or is't a perfect example of what sets us apart from others in the industry so I, I did this this gentleman's property a, a year ago and in the summer he called me and and uh, he said something about on my plan I, I didn't mark tree stand locations and, and i got to thinking, well, what the heck are you talking about? I always mark tree stand locations. So I pull up his plan and sure enough, the only, I've, I've done hundreds of properties and, and I forgot <laughs> to mark stand locations for this guy. And, uh, I, I, I remembered his property good enough that I told him a couple, but I said, you know what you, you paid for a complete service. I'm going to stop back by. And, uh, I. Uh, he was going to pay me a little bit. And uh, I said, no, I said, you've already paid. I screwed up by not marking your stands. I'm going to stop in and visit with you. But anyway, to make a long story short, this client owns a gun store and he's getting ready to start a podcast on guns. And he actually brought you up. He says, I need to visit with Terry because uh, him being a gun fanatic, you know, he could probably give me some direction on some topics and things. So uh, don't be surprised if you hear from from this gentleman from Missouri. But he, you know, <laughs> he took me to his gun store. And, I mean, he he owns it with a couple of, of friends, and they were in there, you know, dealing with customers. And um, since I wouldn't take any mo- money for making that additional trip, he sent me out the door with some ammo, which was greatly appreciated. But uh, man, i will tell you what, I just I say this all the time, but the people I get to meet on these trips are just fantastic. I, I met a couple of guys, different guys around Kansas City. One of them is a uh, um, very successful businessman who has his own radio show in the Kansas City area. Um, and just I got to pick his brain for a day on, on you know various items as he did mine and uh, had a fantastic day with him. And then uh, um, a friend of mine, Kyle Birch, um, did a consulting visit for him, I think it was two years ago. He's been to the master class where um, you know when he was there. Um, I looked at two more properties for him and actually stayed at his house one evening and man, he he fired up the grill and cooked me a bill ribeye. A big a ribeye so big I can only eat half of it. I'm I'm telling you. <laughs> you can um, put away
1: some steak. I've never seen you eat half well, of a steak. Well, you should have seen this in
0: a, a baked potato, the size of a football. And, you know, his wife just uh, really did up a, a meat, but the two of them together just rolled out the red carpet and cooked up a meal for me. Um, I met a fantastic uh, new client in uh, Kansas that had a, he's got a super property and I'm telling you, we laid out, it laid out in such a way that, uh, I mean, it's just gonna be fantastic. And it's in an area where they regularly kill 200-inch bucks. If this guy does not kill a 200-inch buck in, say, the next seven, year, eight years or so, I'll be shocked. Because he gets this plan totally implemented, and he's going to be able to kill some of the bigger deer in the area every single year. So uh, that that's kind of, in a nutshell, what I did for since our last podcast. And then uh, got home, and I'm telling you, I walked in the door, which would have been Thursday. I walked in the door and it was like mid afternoon. And I was so beat, I walked in with my bag, with my clothes and my laptop computer. I set them both down, didn't even throw my dirty clothes out. I walked into the house, hugged my wife, laid on the couch and slept for about five hours. <laughs> she woke me up when it was supper time. So uh, I was absolutely exhausted from about nine days on the road. So that's that's kind of
1: my my week in a nutshell. Well, um, I'm going to tee up what we're going to talk about after the osseo break right now, and that is some misconceptions or some, let's just say, opinions that, that we see from consulting clients. I think it's fun dialogue as we go and visit different people's properties, maybe some questions they have or some uncertainty they have. Tonight, we're going to talk a little bit about it can cover be too thick. And I think that's a great topic as people are doing their TSI and and habitat management. So we're going to talk about that a little bit later, but you talked about being on the road last week's episode, uh, Austin and I went up to very Northern part, Northwestern part of Ohio. And I said on the podcast last week that this property has the potential layout to be the best property I've ever been on as far as access and just i mean it it lays out perfect i've already sent that plan to you to review it and that's going to be going out this week but we got back on uh saturday night recorded the podcast i worked on plans had a pretty busy week scheduled because i had to turn around and drive back to cleveland on monday for tuesday meeting came back home wednesday and that's when you and I talked and we found out about Chris Yates. And uh, I'm going to talk about it to Chris for just a little bit. As people know, we got our new trucks over the last week. Uh, you picked yours up while you were out there and mine got delivered. But we got the news that Chris got some pretty bad health news. Uh, we're, th- we're very thankful that one of Chris's truck customers is a heart surgeon. And Chris mentioned to him that he had had some problems with with some, uh, different, uh, I guess symptoms and they got him in immediately. And Chris is going to have to go in for open heart surgery, uh, early this coming week. So Austin and I jumped in a truck Wednesday night or my art, my truck and drove all the way to Springfield, Illinois stayed, drove to like one o'clock in the morning, got up, drove the rest of the way to Kansas city swapped trucks and drove the almost 10 hours back home so I think probably we passed each other somewhere, someplace, <laughs> somewhere in, in Illinois, somewhere or Missouri, I'm guessing. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, we both got our trucks and and we talked about this deal of Chris Yates. But I think for uh, the purposes of this podcast, I'm just going to take a quick break and just ask everybody to say a prayer for Chris this week. He's got great doctors, great support network. They found it early. And, uh, but he's going to have to have his, uh, open heart surgery this coming week. And, uh, I believe it's on Wednesday. So if everybody could keep him in our prayers, uh, I know he would appreciate it. Uh, I, we asked him permission to share that this week. And he said that in oh, Chris's voice, he said, Oh, I guess I can take as many prayers as what you guys can give. So had a big smile mm-hmm. on his face.
0: Yeah. Um, I, I forgot to mention in my travels, I did stop in out there. On Monday morning, and picked up my new truck. And, and I just, that, that victory Chevrolet is impressive because I, I texted Chris on Sunday afternoon and I told him that I I had a, a window where I could pick that truck up the next morning, Monday morning. So these folks had no advance notice that I'm showing up on Monday morning for a truck. And I, I give them a little bit of time to get open and, and, you know, knowing it was a Monday morning. So I showed up about 10 o'clock. And within an hour I'm rolling out the door in a new truck. And, uh, Chris was, um, he had had to go to the, the doctor that morning for his test, uh, to see what the issue was. So I did not get to see him. And, but, uh, you know, just like he always does, he, he called me that afternoon or that evening uh, to see how I like my new truck and everything. And he, he gave me the news that he was going to have to have open heart surgery the next week, which is this week coming up. So, uh, definitely want to keep him in our prayers but i uh, also just want to give a shout out to the folks at victory because without knowing that i'm coming in the door i get there and an hour later i'm rolling out in a new truck so yeah. we impressed. both
1: we both switched to gmc denalis this time and there is more buttons on these trucks than you and i are smart enough to figure out and uh, <laughs> um, yeah So I got a question, Austin and I were, you know, of course we had almost 10 hours driving back. I think the truck rides a little smoother and it's quieter inside. Did you get the same vibe on yours?
0: Yeah. In fact, uh, when we went out to eat with my parents tonight, they rode with, uh, my wife and I, and and my dad was saying the same thing. How smooth that, that truck rode. I mean, it's a one ton, you know, a 3,500 and, and, yet that thing rides, smooth almost as a car and, uh, quiet, you know, it, it's a diesel, but yet it's as quiet as any gas engine. All, all the bells and whistles are just amazing. I'll never learn them all. I promise you I'll never learn them all. I, I, never <laughs> learn them all. I, I just, I, I, I tried to pick up a couple of new ones. Um, uh, what I like is that, that mirror, that rear view mirror, you flip the little button, you know, and, and you got a camera in, behind you and you're not looking in the mirror, you're looking at a camera and, uh, That was one of my favorites, but, uh, did you figure out your heads up display yet? Uh, is that the one that's on the windshield? Yeah. Put your, uh, speed up on the windshield
1: so you don't have to look down.
0: Yeah. I got that one figured out too. Actually, the guy that, uh, was taking care of me there at victory, he's going through everything with me and and he showed (laughs) me about 10 new things. I said, you might as well stop right here (laughs) because I'm not, I'm not even going to remember half what you just told me, but. Uh, he, he
1: showed me the main ones, so he got your phone synced to the dash. So at least you can use your GPS, right? He did that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I, I, I just think, and, and I haven't researched it enough, but I think that between, and I don't know if it's a Denali package or GMC versus Chevy, you know, we had Chevy high countries before, but I think the ride is a little bit smoother and, it's definitely the road noise and engine noise is much quieter. So I don't know if it's in white noise or it's just insulated better or whatever. So if if anybody has any education, you can comment down below. But yeah, they're really, really nice trucks. I've pretty much lived in mine because we went back up to, into uh, Eastern Ohio today um, and just rolled back in from uh, doing a land consulting up there. So again, uh, the reason we bring this up is, is – Please keep Chris in your prayers. If you want more information about the deal at Victory Chevrolet, whether it's their deal on diesel trucks or you want put in contact with them about any other car purchase with their Buick line, Chevrolet or GMC, get with Don or I. But just understand, you probably won't be talking to Chris for the next couple of weeks. We're going to have other contacts that we'll put you in touch with that can take care of shop business while Chris is out um i don't think the doctor wants him doing too much car sales when uh, he's recouping for a couple weeks
0: well he's got uh, some really good help i know colby was uh integral part whenever i was there of getting me yep. out the door so quick and yep. uh so they'll take care of you you don't have don't have to buy a diesel truck i know of at least two friends of mine one is the the uh, farmer that allows me to hunt on his farm in iowa um, he bought a new Buick Enclave, I think it was, from Chris, and super impressed. And I mean, he's not close to Victory at all. He's clear on the eastern side of Iowa. And uh, I think uh, I'm pretty sure Victory delivered it to his farm. But uh, just because you don't live right there around Kansas City, don't think you can't deal with Victory Chevrolet. They'll work with you. And another friend of mine has a daughter in Texas. Um, that, I think bought a car from through victory because of the podcast. So it doesn't
1: matter where you're at. They'll work with you. All right. Well, keep, keep Chris in your prayers this week. Let's take a quick break in here from our friends at Osseo gear. Osseo gear introduces a
0: premium line of bow hunting gear that is unmatched pairing nature's finest camouflage with the best technological innovations. Osseo gear brings whitetail bow hunters the gear they need to be the best at their craft the unique camouflage mimics the intricate feather pattern of North America's greatest predatorial creatures designed for invisibility built for comfort and engineered for function. Visit osseogear.com that's A S I O gear.com to start shopping. Osseo gear, prepare to be invisible.
1: All right, Don, well, before we move on to the questions for this week, I'm going to blindside you with some common questions or misconceptions if you will when we're on consulting visits and that is the myth that bedding can be too thick you know one of the biggest things we talk about is TSI and going in and I think the verbiage that you use on some of your plans is you can't cut it too hard if it looks like a tornado went through it and there's no tree standing but, you know, one of the concerns that our clients have is if it's just a bunch of tops and trees randomly laying on the ground, are deer going to use it? So why don't you talk just a little bit about when we go in and we really cut a woods hard, obviously we can, we can take skid loaders in and make pass, but how deer will still use all of that tangled up brush that's on the ground as new growth comes in
0: yeah i'll tell you what i think people uh think if they don't see a beat down path through thick cover that the deer are not utilizing it and very seldom is that the case now i I do think there's probably situations like cedar thickets um where you've got uh those branches that are just close to the ground and you can't hardly get through that um that the deer don't utilize like like they you know, when there's a little more space between those cedar trees. But, you know, for the most part, the thicker, the better. Again, it gets into the cover. I mean, I've had people say that switchgrass, a a monoculture of switchgrass is too thick and deer won't utilize it. Well, I'm telling you what, the, the switchgrass on my farm is some of the thickest switchgrass I've ever seen. And yet you get in there and there's deer trails all through it. Deer beds all through it. So, uh, you know, I suppose maybe there's a situation where it can be too thick, but uh, I think most of the time it's uh, people are expecting to see beat down paths everywhere, um, which might not be the case. You know, usually those beat down paths say between bedding and food, as you get back farther into the bedding cover, those beat down paths become less and less because they start branching off and, and that deer activity. On the path, just uh, is not there because it's went several different directions.
1: So, I'm going to reference back to a project you did on your home farm uh, maybe the last winter, the winter before, where you cut a section of your wooded sanctuary really, really hard on the east side. And I think you talked about it on this podcast quite extensively. You know, the problem was you went into the woods and you could see all the way across the woods. There was no browse underneath. It was wide open and you took the canopy completely out in that area. But you talked about taking the skid loader in and pushing some of those trees and creating a pass so that it diverted deer up to it. But I think people think that you have to necessarily open up that whole hillside with all kinds of paths for deer to open it. I think what you were doing in that case was just funneling deer close to the stand as they exited that. Um, I I really think people struggle with cutting a woods too hard and having all these treetops and and trees laying down and saying that deer's never going to go in there because they have to step over a log that's on the ground.
0: Yeah, I mean, when we make a... a, uh heavy TSI cut like that and go in with a skid loader, we're creating a path to put those deer exactly where we want them for hunting purposes. It's not gonna make the deer use or not use that area many any more or less. Uh, It's more to dictate that movement through there. And they will certainly uh, take the path of least resistance, but that certainly don't mean that they're not gonna crawl up under and through over whatever those down treetops because they absolutely will um they they prefer that thick cover and, and those treetops they'll want to bed amongst that you know especially have have a big uh, treetop at their back as they uh, to cover their backside as they're bedded and, and looking out over more open areas but uh, you know again I, I suppose it's possible to have areas that are too thick but uh I think most of the time people are just expecting to see a lot more sign in those areas than what they do see.
1: You know, tell me if I'm wrong, but I the, the places that I'm worried about being too thick are when uh, like invasives like box elders or the the woody brows comes up so thick that literally you can't walk anywhere through it. Um, not brushy cover. There's a difference between brushy cover, and we talked about it last week with when there's grass growing up and briars and you know different brows versus it being all wooded stems you know three and four to six inches that are literally four and five inches apart um i do think Mm -hmm. and and that stuff you can see through a good ways but i do think that that has less deer uh, holding ability than just a bunch of briars and treetops laying on a hillside
0: well there's no doubt that uh you know there's thick vertical cover and there's thick horizontal cover and that that thick horizontal cover is much more attractive to deer than that thick vertical cover
1: yeah
0: and, and you know you mentioned uh, box elder you know another one is uh soft maples you can get in some river and creek bottoms where soft maples are dominant and uh, there's patches of those that are just so stinking thick that uh, you don't want to walk through them and the deer are the same way um I mean so yeah there there is some forms of cover that can be too thick but uh for the most part i think that that's a that's a a misunderstood idea that doesn't typically play out as much as we think it would
1: yeah it's probably the hardest thing we have to get clients to understand is you can't cut it too hard especially you know when we're prescribing it on a south-facing hillside or Uh, adjacent to a a food plot source that we have access or maybe it's a hard edge we're creating in the woods to where deer are going to run that downwind side Um, creating your access point and then creating the habitat up against that access point is one of our game changers that we try to implement on about every property right all right well with that let's uh, move on to our first question of the night I'll let you uh, read it and answer it Okay, this one comes from David Sauer from
0: Mishicot, Wisconsin. He says, Don and Terry love the podcast. Thanks for keeping it real. Can a person have a good stand of switchgrass if no-till drilled into winter wheat stubble after this year's harvest here in Northeast Wisconsin? Will the stand be established before a killing frost? Thanks for your time and dedication into helping us fellow land managers and hunters god bless trump 2024 um well david uh you know i'm not super familiar um with your region as far as the growing season as far as like you know when your wheat's going to be harvested when you're going to get your first frost and that so i'm going to assume that the wheat in your area is going to be harvested around july 1st which is typical where I'm at. It may be different where you're at. And uh, I'm gonna just assume that uh, your first frost is in mid-October, it may be sooner, I don't know. Um, If you go in right after that wheat's cut and immediately no-till in that switchgrass, the soil temperatures are gonna be warm enough that that seed is gonna germinate fairly quickly. I would think that you would want at least a very, very minimum of 90 days before that first frost, after you drilled in. If you do that, um, I, I think you're going to have a good enough st- stand, you know, it's going to be mature enough that, uh, it, it should survive that first winter. I, I wouldn't expect it to be much more than about knee high at best but you're you're going to get a good jump on waiting until the next spring i think that uh that wheat stubble is going to be fantastic ground cover it, it's going to provide some shade to the ground but it's also going to uh, provide a layer of thatch to, to hold in moisture and such um, depending on if you've got weeds coming up in that uh, wheat you know what right after harvest you may want to go in first and spray glyphosate to kill all the weeds and then immediately no-till but you absolutely need to get in there as soon as possible and drill that in after the weed harvest you don't want to wait a week I mean the day it's harvested it wouldn't hurt to be right behind that combine and start drilling it in and I think you would be fine I know you would in my area I'll put it that way you're getting up there quite a bit farther north than me but I still think that if you've got 90 days from the time that you drill it until your first frost, I think you'd be fine.
1: Are you recommending artificially stratifying that seed if you're planting it that late? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, buy your seed in the spring or,
0: um, you know, now actually, and, you know, be throwing it in your freezer for a couple of weeks, taking it out for a couple of weeks, throwing it back, and just continue to do that clear up until the time you plant it. But, uh, you know, the real key is going to be the ground temperatures that time of the year are going to be warm enough you put that seed in the ground if there's any moisture whatsoever um, it it ought to be coming
1: up within two weeks yeah some areas that tend to be really dry and hot through the uh, summer months might not have as good of uh, luck with that because they don't get that moisture to give it a jump shot it could be really really dry through june july and august in some areas so i would think we need to take that into consideration too based on your your area
0: no doubt about it, uh, you're gonna need a couple of timely rains in that 90 day period. But what's really gonna be critical is that you have enough ground moisture right when you drill it, that that seed is not laying there waiting to germinate. There's enough moisture to get that seed you know, germinated right out of the gate. And then a couple of timely rains and over the next uh, couple of months uh, to get it to continue to grow and establish.
1: Yeah, the good news is if you have a good wheat field that he's talking about like that there the likelihood of you having a lot of weed pressure is probably pretty low right all right good question let's move on to the second one
0: uh next question comes from steve schieber from chillicothe missouri he says don thanks for all you and terry do as a consulting client i've experienced the significant benefits of your strategies including the focus on a few large plots versus numerous smaller ones. <coughs> With that strategy in mind concerning late season hunting, one, do you feel it is essential to have food in all plots through the winter or will mature bucks and others move across a larger farm to plots still containing food as other plots are exhausted? Two, when bow hunting large plots late season do you ever utilize? any food plot architecture plantings to draw mature bucks across a large plot to within bow range, and if so, how? Also considering bow hunting large open plots throughout the season, what are your thoughts concerning establishing a staging plot just off the large plot to provide closer bow shots as well as cleaner access and exits? Uh, Well, Steve, first of all, uh, having food in all your plots in the late season, um, you know, you're probably not going to have food in all your plots. You you get into the late season. uh, Some of those plots are just naturally going to get cleaned out. Um, And and to be honest, I, I don't think that's a big deal one way or another. If you've only got one plot with food left in it when you get in the late season. Well guess what? Every buck that gets on his feet before daylight, he's coming to that one plot. So I, I don't see that as an issue whatsoever. If there's food on that farm, the deer are gonna know it and they're gonna find it and they're gonna be there every afternoon. Um well I mean most afternoons. Some afternoons they may not get there till after dark, but you know that's where they're gonna be when that weather gets bad, especially. Now as far as architecture to get those bucks within bow range um yeah there's some things to do one of the things i like to do is 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 use a strip of miscanthus uh to like cut that plot in in half if you will um so that those deer passing from one end of the plot to the other have to work around that strip of miscanthus and you can even put a fence within that miscanthus it doesn't have to be a high fence i mean we're we're talking a, a four to six foot fence right over the top of the miscanthus with miscanthus growing out each side of us so you don't even really see the fence and those deer will work around the ends of that so you 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 really narrow down the plot using that uh, strip of fence and that miscanthus and that's also a great way to divide that plot so on one side of that miscanthus um you maybe have corn and maybe on the other side you have soybeans well, those deer are gonna want to feed them both, so they'll they'll work back and forth, and um, that strip of miscanthus in the fence will push them right around in, in front of your blind or your stand. Uh, so that that's a pretty good way of doing that. Um, you can also use terrain features if you've got a terrain feature to to move them around like that. And uh, what was that last question? Oh, the last question was on uh, smaller, like a micro plot or a kill plot to uh, near a larger plot that's a great idea I mean I've got examples uh, on on numerous properties I've designed plans for where I've done exactly that uh, that transition zone between the major feeding area and the bedding area maybe put a a smaller plot maybe one acre even less um, to get those deer to hit that plot on their way to the bigger plot Uh, works fantastic and as you mentioned it allows you to get in and out a whole lot easier because those deer are not just coming in front of that little, your stand in that little plot and staying. They're passing through and gives you plenty of time to shoot them. But also, they move on and, and allows you to to exit your stand as it gets dark.
1: After looking at the plans of mine this year, I get a little uh, <laughs> dividing my food plots up quite a bit with height variations and and miscanthus, don't I?
0: Yeah, but uh, it's all with a purpose. It's not just doing it uh, just because you think it looks prettier. I mean, there's absolutely a a method behind the madness, if you will.
1: It's it's not to make it complicated for the sake of making it complicated, but there's ways that you can use different type products or structure to get the deer within bow range. You know, if you're sitting back with a 7 mag and a tower blind, you don't have to do that. But us bow hunters have to, and and we don't want to take fifty five yard shots either with a bow. You know, we want them within inside twenty five yards. So there's there's things we can always do to get that to happen. Whether it's the type of products you use, and we preach food food diversity all the time on this. You know, we want we want a lot of different choices. Where and how we put those choices in the plot can make a big difference in getting a shot with a bow or not. Hey, Spinks from Quiet Cat here in our virtual showroom space where you can connect with a product expert and learn all about our bikes, our accessories, and what makes Quiet Cat the leader in off-road electric bikes. Schedule a live session today by clicking in the link below or going to quietcat.com meet.
0: This one comes from Andrew Jones from Springfield, Illinois. He says, Don, as I am sitting here reading the Illinois numbers that have just been posted for the 22-23 deer season's totals, perhaps nothing is more alarming in my eyes out of all the ignorant facts than that the buck to doe harvest ratio was 45% dough and 55% bucks. I cannot help but wonder if it is allowed to continue down this path Will Illinois ever become a one-buck state? Will the mature deer herd have to be completely killed off before the politicians even talk about this issue? Curious on your thoughts, or if we should all strap in for things to continue to get worse. Thanks. <laughs> well, um, <laughs> Andrew, Buckle up, folks. Buckle up. Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and Andrew, sadly, The politicians don't care whatsoever about having mature animals in the deer herd. Um, And and what's even more sad is the fact that the Illinois deer biologists don't care either. And uh, that's a pretty big statement, but I'm basing my statement on their actions, their past actions. They've absolutely done nothing in several decades to prove that they care about the quality of the Illinois deer herd. Um, these folks are just managing numbers. Um, the the state deer herd is a cash cow um, for the politicians. Um, I, I don't see it ever getting any better. And I, 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 I literally mean ever, um, not your lifetime, not my lifetime, not our kid's lifetime. It's not gonna get better. Um, it's going to depend on private landowners um, just taking the bull by the horns and, and managing. This is a huge reason why I think, and it's it not, not only I think, I, I see it. Fences are coming to the Midwest, high fences. It's going to divide property owners. Um, there's going to be more and more conflict between neighbors uh, over deer management policies. Uh, and, and the reason is the state is not doing anything, and, and so a guy that's really serious about having older age class deer, he, he's got to take the the initiative and he's got to take the bull by the horns. He's got to do things that his neighbors probably aren't going to like, and uh, I I just don't see it any other way. I, w- I wish it it was, but shoot, uh, you, you can't get two deer hunters to agree on much of anything. You know, I mean. Th- there's just no way it's going to happen so it, it's going to be almost every man for himself uh maybe you get two or three guys in a neighborhood uh trying to manage things um, for older age class animals but uh you know what's going to happen then most of the time is these guys are going to start out working together and then they're going to be button heads <laughs> And I, I know of a situation here local um that, that that's happened recently and uh Guys that were trying to work together are now at odds with each other over deer management issues, and uh, it's a sad state of affairs. But that's where we are. Um, I hold out absolutely zero hope, none whatsoever, that the Illinois DNR is ever going to do anything. Um, you know, I'm just trying to uh, acquire more land as I can can afford to do so and acquire pieces of property that are isolated as much as possible from other tracts of deer land in other words they are surrounded by wide open agriculture fields and and don't have hunters sitting right on the line and that's about the best we can do um but no illinois dnr is not going to do anything
1: always trust the government right
0: i'm not sure what for um (laughs) My disdain for the government grows with each passing week.
1: We could spin that one a lot of different ways, but we'll just move on to question number four. <laughs> It'll probably be safer for all of us if, if we Yeah, do. Ray and Ray and Aiden were getting their popcorn out for that one, but I don't think they got a they got a real good show.
0: Well. I I try to settle down a little bit from what I used to go on some real rants about IDNR. I I I don't even worry about them anymore because uh, I I know they're not going to do anything that's right. I don't expect them to. I just need to move on and do my own thing. So yep. Anyway, next question. uh next one comes from Bellairs from Petersburg, Pennsylvania. So these questions are for Don and Terry. Question one: What are your thoughts on all the different contests revolving around hunting? For example, coyote hunts, small game hunts, shed antler contests, etc. I feel like it cheapens our great sport and anything where money is involved gets turned into a free for all with people willing to do anything to win. Interested in your thoughts on this. Question two, my son and I run about 15 trail cameras every year from the beginning of September until March. About half of them are at scrapes. This year, I've noticed a lot of rub, urinating, and ground pawing clear through February by bucks that still have their antlers and bucks that have shed. I've never seen this before in February. Interested in if you have noticed this before. Also, are you ever going to do another printing of your book, Hunting Trophy Whitetails, in the Real World? I cannot find it anywhere. Thank you for always keeping God first in all you do. It is hard to find In this world we live in god bless uh billy first on uh the hunts the uh, hunt contest um you know when i was younger i entered a lot of big buck contests, and uh you know i know they're they're organized more for fun than anything the older i get um well i haven't entered a big buck contest in many years um, decades really the older I get, uh, the less I, I like those things. I just think that uh, that's an opportunity to bring out the worst in people. And, uh, you, you know, you could have 100 guys in a big buck contest and 99 of them do things legit and right, and and one guy sees an opportunity and goes out and breaks game laws and, and uh, you, you know, does unethical things as well. I, I And then you start putting money behind the prizes. Uh, with value that that just it, it just money's the root of all evil i i'm not a fan of any of these contests Um not knocking anybody that gets in them or anything like that but for me personally i i just don't think they they bring anything good to the sport um the other questions you had um what were the other questions terry he got me uh he, he hit on so many different topics that weren't even related. Um, seeing bucks scrape um, through February. Yeah, I, I've seen it um, just about all months of the year. I've actually went out and put trail cameras out in July and, and found scrapes that were open in July. And now those are typically the community scrapes that uh, see a lot of activity all year long and especially during the rut. Uh, most scrapes are not gonna be open that time of the year, but yeah, I, I've seen that in February. Numerous times, and then in regards to another printing of my first book, that's not going to happen. Um, that book I sold out of two or three years ago. Uh, what what's out there is out there. I don't know where you might find one at. Um, most people have probably used it for toilet paper by now, so they may all be destroyed. But I've been asked a lot recently, and especially since I'm out doing these seminars and such, if uh, I'm going to write another book and you know, I, I'm thinking it probably is a retirement project, I may write a final book and uh, a tell all, um, about a lot of topics that, uh, I, I think people would buy the book. And I know Amish people would buy the book, but, hmm. a uh,
1: whole chapter on code Brown stories.
0: Well, it might be half the book on code Brown stories, <laughs> but, uh, just some things that I've seen within the hunting industry uh you know I I could cover a lot of topics that most people in the industry would not cover they wouldn't touch the topic with a 10-foot pole but it wouldn't bother me and if I'm on my way out if I've already retired and I don't care about the hunting industry anymore I'm telling you what if you think I open up now wait until I don't care anymore
1: (laughs) I um I'm going to make a statement about these contests because I know it's a hot topic. I believe did Illinois propose or did they ban these coyote roundups here or it's being talked about? I think I heard through the rumor and a bunch of people are up in arms about it. No, I haven't oh. heard
0: that, but, uh, yeah. I, I wouldn't be surprised. I, am... I mean,
1: I'm not going to criticize somebody else for doing it. This is just my belief. And if you don't agree with me, fine. Any contest about this sport needs to be completely outlawed. You hunt for what you want out of it, not for recognition from somewhere else or to compete against somewhere else. Hunting isn't like golf. You can't have two guys get on the same tee box with the same wind and hit the ball in the same hole. There is no two opportunities that are the same. There's no two people that have the same goals. There's no two people that have the same farm, the same deer, the same genetic pocket. And I'm just sick to death of this. this these contests aren't about all the people that enter them. It's about the corrupt businesses and groups that are making money off of it or trying to get notoriety or likes or views of financial gain by having all these pawns get on there and brag about what they're doing and try to compete against each other. And all it does is continue to divide this industry. So all you people that are participating in all this bull crap of these contests out there, you guys are all pawns. You're being used (laughs) and it shouldn't be that way. Hunt for what you want out of it not what these companies are trying to market their products using Ural's trail cameras and Ural's uh, trophy photos. It's crap. Garbage. Amen, brother. Amen. <laughs> no disagreement here. All right. I'm done for the night. You know what? Hey, I, I
0: need to jump on my soapbox now. You All got right, me let's have engineer. it. Let's
1: have it. Come on.
0: Yeah. What I got to wonder, you, you know... I started hunting in a day where there was obviously no social media. There wasn't even the internet until Al Gore came along and invented it. <laughs> you know, um, when, when I was a kid in school, honey, those of us who hunted, there, there was, you know, a few of us, it wasn't like it was that rare, especially, you know, in small towns in the Midwest. But we didn't have the social media, we didn't have the contest, we didn't have all that. And I just got to wonder how many hunters we would have if it was not for social media, if it was not for these contests, if it was not for team this, team that, you know, everything's a team. Um, I, I don't think that's that's what hunting is supposed to be. I, I, I think it's a it's a heritage. You know, uh, in the early days of this country, you know, hunting is what put food on the table for a lot of families. And uh, we've, our, our society has shifted from a rural society to an urban society. And I think as we've made that shift, we've also shifted the way hunting is um, uh, not just perceived, but actually the way it is. I mean, I see some of these clowns on social media, and I wonder if this person was just stuck out, you know, in a wilderness area and forced to survive on his woodsmanship skills. I don't think a lot of them could. And I think, uh, you, know, the, the, you know, we look at things like youth season for deer hunters. Well, you know, most of the time, these youth hunters, if you will, um, they're going out and and they're shooting a deer but did they really do anything were they really hunting most of the time their dad or somebody else took them out plopped them down in a spot with a rifle or a crossbow and they shoot a deer and that that kid that youth um he really not didn't get to experience you know the no i forget what gene Winslow how he used to call it he almost called it like an apprenticeship you know to become a a deer hunter. You started out with small game, and you, you know you learned to do that, and you, and you moved up. And there, I remember a lot of states you couldn't hunt big game until you was like thirteen years old, fourteen years old. It was a law. You, you just couldn't. Well, we went we went backwards, and and the whole idea that we've done this to get youth more involved. Well, that's bullcrap. We didn't do it to get youth more involved. What we did is, is we we did it to sell more products it's all again and that's why i'm so disgusted with the ata the archery trade association those people don't give a rat's butt about our big game herds they don't care about conservation they may say they do they do only as far as their pocketbook goes to them it's all about money how much money can we generate through hunting and they say oh we got to bind together because we're we're going to be outnumbered. You know what? We're already outnumbered and we're never going to be the majority. And instead, we're making every excuse we possibly can to bring to just basically make as much money. That, it's what it's all about. You know, we, we can't offend this person as long as what they're doing is legal. That's all that matters. We should all be on the same page if it's legal. Well, bullcrap. You know, we're conservationists, we're stewards of the resource, and it's about the heritage that we're passing on to the next generation, and as our society has degenerated over the past few decades of my life that I've witnessed, so is the hunting culture. The the, the hunting culture has deteriorated, and, and these hunting contests are part of that. We didn't have contests back in the day. If we did, it was just... The local archery shop where you paid five dollars and 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 i participated in them back in the day but looking back i don't i wouldn't do it today but anyway kind of my soapbox on the whole direction the hunting industry's
1: gone and if you're doing it we're not belittling you or telling you wrong it's just our opinion but but this sport is your way, and and I think as serious land managers get more into, we see it with our consulting clients. The more you get into the habitat side of it, the hunting means less and less, or the kill means less and less. You sit back in your tree stand, you're blind at, during a hunting season, and you look out over all those hours that you put into that food plot, that bedding, that that habitat, and you just did something good for that environment or that miniature ecosystem that your kids are going to be able to enjoy. That's cool stuff. Mm-hmm. But, but when we're making it, we call it you and I, or I, I don't know if it was me and Wes, I, I kind of termed it yoga pants marketing. You know, you get some blonde bimbo and yoga pants and have her get on some, you know, product endorsement and put it on Instagram and get 30,000 likes because all these men are sitting there gawking at her this industry has gone so far down the toilet when it comes to this kind of stuff. And I just feel bad because the average bow hunter that's coming up in today's society thinks that that's what it's about. It's about notoriety. It's about how many likes I can get on it. And all these people, in my opinion, you can tell me I'm wrong and I'm an idiot and that's, that's okay. That's partially true. But everybody that's getting involved in all these, you know, team events and, and these big sponsored stuff, it, it's you guys are all just being pawns for the big man that's that's trying to sell you and pitch you products. So that's men.
0: So, Amen, brother.
1: All right, let's go for the next question.
0: Uh, the next one comes from Cody Wolka from Valonia, Indiana. It says, "Hi, Don. Longtime listener, first time writer. Listening to the last podcast sparked my interest about your mineral." After going to the real-world website, I see there are two different kinds. After reading all about each one, I think it is clear which one is the best, but found myself wondering why there are two options. If the one is better, why offer the other? P.S. I laugh every time you talk about a Code Brown. I have a friend (laughs) who has had a lot of Code Browns right on the side of the interstate. (laughs) Well, Cody, I'm glad we could entertain you.
1: Cody just uh, needs to call. To Cody just needs to call out his buddy at that point. That's the only thing he didn't do. You got yeah, tens exactly. of thousands of people listening to this right now, and Cody didn't take the opportunity to embarrass his buddy. Well, maybe we should be
0: reading between the lines there, Terry, because t- Cody is from Indiana. Do we know some <laughs> guy from Indiana? <laughs> maybe Cody and Wes are buddies.
1: <laughs> um, are they both are. They both Purdue grads. Is Cody? Are you a Purdue
0: grad? Uh, I don't know about that, but uh, <laughs> we can we, we can connect the dots there. Indiana Code Brown. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, your question, Cody, about the mineral. So uh, the two minerals that Real World sells, um, Maximizer and Maximizer Plus. They're, it's basically the same mineral, except the Maximizer Plus has the Expect Healthy Deer technology in it. The Expect Healthy Deer technology. May not be needed or wanted by you know all customers. It adds considerable cost to the product. We wanted people to be able to buy the, but I I'm convinced it's the best deer mineral on the market, hands down. All you got to do is learn to read an analysis tag, and you can see that it just blows away any other deer mineral. But and we wanted people to be able to buy that without having to go to the extra expense of having the expect healthy deer technology in it if they wanted to so that that's the reason why you can get it either with or without the expect healthy deer technology but the mineral formulation is basically the same yep
1: all right well I think we're running just a hair over today with our extended rants on question number four so we'll wrap up the show here. what do you got planned for this week Don?
0: uh this week i've got two more um local consulting gigs to do and then i want to hit on the uh, event down in henderson um tennessee coming up friday march 3rd um i don't know do you have that address there in front of you terry for that i I do not
1: but i'll put it on the screen in front of us yeah
0: so uh it'll be this friday march 3rd henderson tennessee I'll be there, be my last speaking event uh, for at least uh, the the spring, uh, maybe for the year. I haven't decided what I'm going to do this summer yet. I tell you what, I'm about exhausted from being on the road, so I may take the summer off. I haven't decided yet, but anyway, that, that's this Friday. So uh, I got the address. The
1: I got the address. I'll read it for everybody that's listening and try to put it up on the screen when I do post-production. So March 3rd center point church the address is 1002 center point road hendersonville tennessee that's center point church 1002 center point road hendersonville tennessee and i don't know any details about about what time that starts or anything like that so
0: um no i i want a a couple things first of all i'm gonna look up uh a uh, a phone number where you can uh call for more information on that event you got it uh, right here so more information on that event call 618-553-2745 and you'll be talking to steve lockenmeyer um he is from southern illinois recently uh, moved in the last couple of years to tennessee um I also wanna throw out a special invitation. There's a gentleman I talked to from Tennessee not too long ago about the podcast. His name is Marvin. Marvin talked about him and some of the gentlemen at his church discussing the podcast and, and, and different uh, issues that they might have with that. I wanna, I wanna send a special invitation to you guys, Marvin. You get your guys from your church, your, uh, your youth, Young guys that are listening to the podcast, you bring them out and uh, be my special guest that evening. I'd love to meet you in person.
1: I'm actually doing consulting work about 45 minutes from there, so I might make an appearance. I'm not sure yet. We'll have to see what I the schedule. Uh, we'll see what the schedule is, but I'm going to be down in Hopkinsville area for three straight days. So um, we'll we'll see we'll see how the day goes, but I'm going to try to make it down there well uh bobby worthington
0: is going to be in the area as well and he said he's going to try to make it so all right hey folks that's two good reasons to be there terry and bobby
1: Uh, you don't have to come see me that's for
0: sure yep that'd be great if you guys are there
1: well we'll see how the uh, visits go that day i gotta obviously give first priority to the people that are having us look at their properties but we'll see how it goes so all right, and then let's make a quick update before we sign off about master classes. You had a couple notes about some of them are full, and some of them have a couple openings. So before we sign off, uh, read that off.
0: Yeah, those are coming up real quick here. Uh, March 9th, eleventh, sixteenth, and eighteenth, and, uh, the, the, uh, and the the eleventh and the eighteenth are Saturday classes. Those are both full. Uh, the ninth and the 16th are Thursday classes and there's just a a couple of openings left for each of those so if anybody wants in there's still a couple openings on those Thursday classes get a hold of me as soon as possible Um, again uh, next year we're not going to be having those classes on my farm as I redo some things on the property and uh, see if I can't take it to the next level but uh, if you're interested get a hold of me and still can come this year
1: real quick to uh, just tee up a conversation point for those people who have already registered for that have you sent out packets and instructions and order sheets and give a deadline of when they needed to place their order with the real world office to you know people don't realize this but the real world office is about 35 minutes away So we need the order in advance so we can have that product brought down to your place so we can load you up and send you home with it. So talk a little bit about that.
0: Yeah, everybody that has uh, signed up for the class uh, should have gotten a either by email or by regular mail, a uh, info sheet on the class telling you, giving you motel information, information. and also, as Terry mentioned, if you want real-world product, how to go about uh, placing that? If you came as a or signed up as a group, there, might, it might have been that just one person in the group got that info sheet. But uh, be sure and let us know any product that you need, and we'll definitely have it there and uh, load you right out. It can be full pallets. You can you can buy a semi load, and we'll have it there ready for you to take home on
1: pallets. So.
0: Whatever you need, we can get it.
1: And then a lot of people travel in the night before. So usually we'll have a kind of um, impromptu meal and just kind of social time for the people that are in town the night before. And then the Friday night, we record a podcast with all of the lo- the people that are there. Uh, we invite a couple special friends over. So guys like Al Foster. um and, and, and some of our real close friends that are usually in the area, Joe Johnson's usually coming by. It's a great time that we have with the consultant or the group of the master class. And, but that's on Friday night before the Saturday class. So uh know that there's activities or events the night before if you get in early enough. So can't wait to see everybody. We got a we got a, a bunch of really good guys coming this this trip. So I've I, they've reached out to me already telling me who's coming. So I'm excited.
0: Yeah, a lot of people that are coming that I already know. I've met them as either uh, consulting clients or somewhere down the road. So uh looking forward to these classes this year.
1: Yep. All right, Don, we'll have a good week and good luck. If I don't see you in Tennessee, have a good event down there and we will be back with you next Sunday. So thanks everybody.
0: Yeah. Be sure to keep Chris Yates in your prayers this week, folks. Thank you. And God bless. Chasing Giants has been brought to you by Osceo Camo, Farm Real Estate Company. 360 hunting blinds, Victory Chevrolet, Real World Wildlife Products, Matthew's Archery, Novix Tree Stands, Gingerich Tree Farm, wildlifefarming.com, Quiet Cat and Vortex Optics. Thanks for listening and tune in next week for another episode of Chasing Giants.